I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. There's never a dull moment in AFLW when the top four play each other and the Giants and the Suns stun. My name is Emma Race and I'm delighted to have my football-loving feminist folk with me to hoist our thoughts up the flagpole. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Shelley Ware. And I'm Tess Armstrong. It is so nice to see you both and we've got a lot to talk about. The one thing that I was having a little bit of amnesia about was what round we were in because we seamlessly slipped from round three wrapping on Tuesday night to round four kicking off on Thursday night where Frio hold the phone just too good for the pies. Are we going to see the Dockers looking for property in Melbourne because playing here and living here does not worry them, Tess? They looked fantastic. And you said round four going into round five, but then we were also meant to have like a round 10 or round six game being loaned to round four. Being on secondment. From, on secondment from round <laughs> 10. But then they realised it wasn't going to quite work and so now it's gone back to round 10. I have no idea who I am, where we are, what year it is. But I actually think that's quite reflective of how we feel in our normal lives. I don't know what year it is. It's 2020 still, in my opinion. It's the longest 2020 ever. And so it's the longest round four. It may be round four until the final. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll still be playing round four as we head into, we'll play it as a, um, as a curtain raiser to the, <laughs> to the grand final. Shelley, what were your highlights? My highlights? Well, it's funny you're talking about Frio. I'm actually looking forward to the next game against North because I really loved, and this is going to sound really strange to all of the Carlton people out there, I loved how North played that game on the weekend. It was actually my first live game. So that probably was part of it too, being in part all the atmosphere and everything that we can possibly get during these COVID times. But I loved how North looked so fit. They looked so strong. I love the structure of their game. Everything was great. I'll stand up for the Blues a little bit. You know, they'd just flown back from Brisbane. There was, you know, the fact that they'd only had the five days between the games. But like you said at the start, that is pretty much where we're at at the moment, filing through these games at a rate of knots. But I am looking forward to seeing Frio North playing. But that was my highlight. I absolutely loved how they played. It was very sad to see it happening to my Blues. But once I got over the sulking of that moment, I could see how fantastic they were. Like Daria Bannister, her set goals were just absolutely brilliant. They were just forward all the time. They weren't behind calling for the ball. They were attacking it. And it was just a delight to see as sad as it was against my Blues. Frio playing um, the Kangaroos is an unknown quantity. It could be an absolute scorcher. I was so disappointed not to see Carlton really try and shut down Dari Bannister. I just felt like she had a day out. I've got to be honest, I feel like I'm having the full experience barracking for the Blues because, gee, on paper, 
they are a team that really floats my boat. Yeah, thank you for the full experience. (laughs) I can't go past GWS on the weekend. Amazing comeback because the week before, I've got to say, I think people were saying, pack up the card table. This is what is happening at GWS. This is a schmozzle. But then they get hit by COVID. They had out Pepper Randall, Chloe Dalton, Beck Privatelli, Katie Loins, all out with protocols. Plus Beck Beeson is injured, of course. They bring in two people who've never played before. And I don't like saying debutantes. Is that okay? I'm a feminist and I don't like the word debutante because I think of like a debutante ball. So I'm I not going to say it. I never did my ball either. I never did my deb. So it was controversial at the time. And so I'm, I fully back you. Shelly, you did your deb, right? I did my deb. I did get the call last minute, like somebody called up and said, oh, there's a spot. So I said, okay, but it wasn't like the full planned out event, but I enjoyed myself. So that's what happened at GWS. Two people (laughs) got the call up, hadn't played before. And in the winner's circle, there were seven (laughs) players, which was, you know, that's a, that's a lot of players having their first win, but GWS bouncing back from a pretty humiliating defeat by the Kangaroos the week before. So I thought it was amazing. The Bulldogs, I feel are running on the spot and I really feel for them. And during the commentary, I heard I'm talking about Brooke Lachlan I think she has long COVID and she's not back yet and they'd played they hadn't played for 20 days how fairly or unfairly can we judge that performance I don't think we can judge it very fairly at all and I, I feel the same way now about West Coast they are on the road they've missed two games straight I don't know, how can you even get a sense of where a team's at? I saw today that they've been gifted the uh, hangar from Essendon, which I thought was nice footy world coming together to try and give them the best facilities so at least they've got a home away from home. But it is so hard and it's so hard on the doggies. We'll get a sense, I guess, they're playing a a few games within a few days and so we're going to have a chance to play themselves into form and maybe that that will do it. It's tough, but good on the Giants. They were amazing. My highlight, if I wasn't a Tigers fan, I'd say it was a very stirring victory from the from the Gold Coast Suns. They were so they looked like they're having an absolute ball playing footy together, and I was totally devastated. I felt it deep within, but good on them. That was amazing. And my real highlight, I mean, it's got to be. I could say this every week as a standing highlight. It's got to be Erin Phillips. Oh. She's thirty six, seventeen disposals, <laughs> three goals. Mm. Her team's undefeated. They look fit as a fiddle. They were coming up against an excellent opposition in the Demons. I just think she is a superhero. She's doing Brecky Radio and then she's playing footy. I mean, that in itself, absolutely killing it. So yeah, go them crows. Adelaide Frio is going to be an absolute blockbuster and it could in fact be the grand final. But one thing that we haven't talked about yet is the big cats and this, you are a small cat. (laughs) Your small cats, the Geelong small cats. Holy smokes, Batman. They really brought it. I thought this was going to be a big moment. They have been most improved. And I will remind you that I actually tipped this at the start. I mean, no, we're not that kind of a podcast, right? But I did say they were going to be my smoky. So I'm just saying, not my other team, but gee, I thought they were giving uh, the reigning premiers a run for their money. You've got some Geelong skin in the game, Tess. Did you Mm -hmm. think they had it? Oh, I was so convinced they had it. I was so, I was super disappointed for them. And I will say they've had a pretty tough draw, but in fact, that has proven how how far improved they are from last year. I mean, they've had North, they've had the Blues, they've had, who else did they have? The Lions up against the top teams and they've really held their own. And I think that they are just a bees, you know what, away from a victory. And I just want to see them get it. We talk a lot about having multiple teams and my husband is a mad cat and I grew up as a cat 
And I love that team so much and so does he. And he even said the other day, oh, it's so confronting in AFLW because he loves the Lions AFLW team. It's like, I don't know how to feel because look at that team. I just love them. But his own catters just couldn't quite get it done. But they're so close. They're so close to breaking through and it's great. Wasn't it interesting the tweet from Jess Wushner this week saying I've had my um, schedule changed for work and now I've had to drop a shift because we're because of other uh, footy-related changes and I'm going to lose out on some money. Shelley, how does that sit with you? Well, that doesn't sit very well. I really struggle with the fact that we still haven't done well by these women who are playing sport. You know, I think that it, it was a reminder that they are semi-professional and that we can do better in this space with them. I really think we can. Yeah, Ted? And to that point, over the weekend, we also saw the Matildas, unlucky, but they're getting amazing ratings. The Women's Ashes, an incredible test match, but had everybody captivated. Then we had Ash Barty, absolutely superstar of our times. What's the thing they all have in common? They all get to do this full time. They all get paid. They all do this thing as their job. There is no hiding away from the fact that what you put in, you'll get out. And so let's just put it in. Lucy said Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago on the pod, Bring that 10-year thing forward. Bring it forward. Let's get stuck in now. Let's not have Jess Wushner having to go to Twitter looking for work, seeing has anyone got any work that might be flexible. I mean, we can't have this ongoing. No, I want to talk about sponsorship going forward, but um, yeah, she's wise that Lucy race, isn't she? Like when you see someone asking for a bit of crowdfunding and finding a job for a player, Mm. there's something really wrong with the system. We did get a little uh, Omen watch sent to us which Mm -hmm. is that it is the year of the tiger. And I think it's really misplaced. It may be the year of the tiger, maybe in the M. I'm not sure that it's going to be in the W, but I want to say. Hang on. We're only halfway through the season. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, you can, you can fry me if I've got that wrong. I want to say happy new year and may your yi sang be high. Do you, have you ever had yi sang? I'm seeing people post it. It is a celebratory Chinese salad, which looks absolutely amazing. Um, Actually, it might be a Malaysian salad and it has uh, salmon in the middle and you toss it with your chopsticks and you try and make it as high as you possibly can. And that gives you good fortune. So I hope that everyone who celebrates is having very high salad. That sounds like a mass tackle. Like someone's been tackled to the ground. There's a player, then there's another player, then there's another player, then there's another player. That sounds great. Yeah, it sounds delicious. We should get together for it soon. Okay, who's ready to roll up their sleeves? And melee. All those in yes. favour, say aye. Perfect. Aye. Aye. <laughs> the biggest story of the week is one that, uh, surprisingly, we're not going to delve into this week on this particular podcast. Hanine Zarika from GWS opted out of playing on the weekend to avoid wearing the GWS Pride jumper. And the Sanctum's own Rana Hussein has written about the nuance in delivering true inclusion and diversity in sport in The Guardian, and I would urge you to read it. But in honour of our ethos of nothing about us without us, Rana Hussein and Julia Kiera will this week present the fifth quarter in which they will discuss through their football loving eyes and through their perspectives from communities of um, Muslim faith and queer communities respectively, they are going to have a conversation that honours this moment and actually delves into the issues in a longer form way. So we really hope that you'll tune in to hear them discuss this moment on the fifth quarter will be released on Friday. I think it's the first time we've walked away from an issue. I think we're doing it for all the right reasons and I'm really looking forward to hearing that conversation myself. We did have some conversation a few weeks ago about the West Coast Eagles and their pride jumper and Shelley, there was an update on that during the week. There was. West Coast CEO Trevor Nesbitt has come out and said that they made a mistake and that they 
should have had a pride round jumper and that it should have been something that they promoted and celebrated with their inclusion and diversity and that they pride themselves on it and it was a mistake. I have to say I did I did have to check the newspaper article date when I actually first saw it. You know, that I actually physically did that. It is good to see them come out and say we got it wrong. You know, that's the thing, you know, with reflections and learnings and time that it often reveals the truth of how people are feeling in a situation as opposed to this is what I want to do. You know, we see that time and time again. So it's good to see that they've been reflective and that next year we'll see a pride jumper. I think he also said words around that it was regrettable what the coach had said in that press conference. And I imagine that there'll be a lot of conversation now sparked by this error in judgment or error in timing and error in language. And I think um, you're right. Like sometimes it's when things go wrong that we learn the most. I mean, you learn more from mistakes, right? So I thought Mm -hmm. that was pretty powerful to see um, them go back for a third bite of the cherry (laughs) in their communication around this test. We're impressed with that. However you get there, you get there. And if a club takes three extra weeks before they come to maybe some understanding and educating themselves, then that's fine. I do often get frustrated though, working in news, it's kind of rinse, repeat. Someone says something, they clearly miss miss the moment. It's clearly a misstep out of what every, where everybody else in society's got. There's a doubling down from a club or, you know, I don't want to talk about it. We're not mm. talking about it. We're moving on. No one's allowed to talk about it. And then a couple of weeks later, they apologise, which we always saw was going to happen. And so I feel like there might have surely was someone at the club that said, I reckon we've got to get ahead of this. I think this is going to get out of control. I would just urge organisations, listen to that person. <laughs> well, don't dismiss if someone says, hey, I reckon this might get out of control. They might be in touch with a, with a whole different community that you don't talk to. And so you might not see it coming as backlash, but it's probably coming. So if someone in the room says, hey, this is going to get away from us. We should probably put something out now. Just try and listen to that person and maybe get ahead of it being two weeks later and Shelley having to check the, the date of the paper. Do you reckon um, they need to have a cut out the middleman department where they go, let's just get from here to here. We don't have to do yeah. We don't have to run around and chase our tails in circles saying that's not what we meant. It is what we meant. It's not what we said. It's not what we said. It's actually how we acted, you know, yeah. Teddy. And- I think that it happened because it's Trevor Nisbet's uh, letter to the members, right, which this is also, I think, an issue. So there's there's ways in which footy clubs have decided this is how we communicate with our people. We do one interview a month on the radio. We do our letter to the members, blah, blah, blah. So we'll deal with everything in the letter to the members that's coming out at the end of the month. But that's not how the media cycle works. You can take initiative. You can call Channel 7 in Perth and say, I want to do an interview tonight and get ahead of it. Clubs can take that initiative rather than feeling defensive and thinking, no, 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 it has to be in the letter to the member. It doesn't. You can actually do it before that. I think it's also about like what you touched on is their lived experiences of having people in your conversations, seeking communities and having conversations with them and not thinking that your one view is correct. You know, like listening to lots of different people, getting a scope from everyone and then making a decision as a club that mutually benefits majority of the people and and the people that it doesn't benefit having those conversations with them about how people can be comfortable. And people do that, right? Like we get calls all the time to go in and consult and have conversations with people in a difficult moment or, you know, people doing background. So it does happen around other issues. I was really surprised that it happened around this issue, to be honest. 
I was really surprised so, that it took that long. Speaking of the fifth quarter, which is our Friday pod, there was a conversation that Rana Hussein had with Dr. Casey Simons last week, and it was so good. I, I mean, I know I'm saying that about our own podcast, which doesn't sit that comfortably with me, but I was listening to that just feeling so seen and punching the air in talking about fandom and talking about the right way to be a fan, and the right way to support your team. And one thing that occurred to me in this conversation, I would urge you to download it and listen to it, was Rana talking about how she often gets a bit of a hard time because she has two teams, but she buys two memberships. I was like, hang on a minute, you're right. Like we discount it because of this belief that we have that you have to be one-eyed. Did you guys listen to it? And what were your takeaways, Tess? I loved it so much. I was listening to it in the car and I'm a classic, listen to the radio and talk back to the radio. So if, a, if an interview is happening, like on a talk back and they haven't asked a question, I'm like, ask them about this, you know, I'm yelling at the radio. But in this case, I was like, oh my God, that's so me, you know, with everything that they said. I just totally loved it. And it made me look at a lot of my own deep anxieties about whether I'm a good enough fan or not. And I have a tricky old path to being a Richmond fan, which is that I grew up in several different clubs and dad played for St Kilda. My family is St Kilda. I didn't feel connected to St Kilda and I still don't for several reasons that are bigger than football. And he worked for another club, Geelong. I really love Geelong. He worked for the Western Bulldogs. I love them. But I feel like I chose Richmond as my own team, but I always feel like I have to justify it because I have changed clubs and people who haven't grown up in footy clubs would find that very difficult to understand. But if, you know, Richmond didn't win that weekend, I might have to move states and dad might have to go into a different club and I would lose my friends and my boyfriend when I was 16 and it was stressful and it was real life stuff why I would barrack for that club over another. So it made me look really deeply into it. And I also got me thinking about members, which is something I feel quite complicated about and I know this sounds like I'm anti-money and anti-whatever but I feel like there's way too much emphasis on people contributing financially to a club that makes them a better fan there is so much talk about members members are our lifeblood and that's fine all good I know that I understand that's how clubs make a lot of money but there are so 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 many fans that will absolutely never be able to afford to be members of a club nor will they be able to afford to go to games actually or buy the merch and it doesn't make them less of a fan and it doesn't actually make them less passionate it doesn't mean that they don't you know ride the bumps with a grin in your case or or cry um at after finals in my case and I feel like the the terms fans and members being used interchangeably bothers me because you could be the most paid up member and be a terrible fan. You could be the highest paid member of any club and be trolling your players online after they lose. It doesn't make you a, a better fan. And in fact, we have gotten to a point where there are so many members that there are in fact too many members to really reap the benefits of being members of clubs. For example, there might be 150,000 members of Richmond, but 100,000 seats at the MCG. And actually on grand final day, maybe 30,000 members are going to get tickets anyway, because a whole heap of people are going to get to go for free. So I'm contributing financially as much as I can, but I'm not necessarily getting that back from a club. And I find that we're in a bit of a tricky position there. I also want to posit something that I don't know if different clubs do. I'm going to go away and do scurry around and do my research, but I'd like to hear from Outer Sanctumers about what their clubs do differently in terms of membership. Because one thing I think could be a good idea, for example, just say I get a job for the next couple of years, I can afford membership for my footy club. So I sign up, but then I might lose my job or we might come into a pandemic, for example, and things might be tight. I might have a baby, money might be tight. And so you cancel your membership because you can't afford to pay it. If I come back a year later, I've started at number one. 
So I'm never going to be able to accrue a 10, a 20, a 30, a 50-year membership. I'm never going to be seen as a long-term member, even if I have actually been a member over the space of 70 years, but just on and off. Why can't we have a system where we accrue years of membership? And I just think that would be a nice way for clubs to say to members who come in and out, we still value you, even if you can't be a full-time member forever. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Shelley? That you mentioned it. Um, the Carlton Football Club actually do that because Taj, we had him from birth as a member and what happened was Eddie Betts left so he no longer wanted to be a member of the Carlton Football Club so we were now members of the Adelaide Football Club You know, and like you were talking about before, people putting pressure, he didn't care because I don't care. When we came back to Carlton, he actually, it was a cute, like it went on and on. So he actually got good. the numbers added up for him and yes. he got a 10-year badge when he technically had been back for only a few years. It does happen at some clubs, and I guess that's just a choice of the clubs, but you're right, it should happen. I had heard it hadn't happened, so I was shocked when he did get his little 10-year badge, but it was very nice of them, and it made you know, it goes on your scarf. It's a funny thing, isn't it? The podcast um, talking about fandom really tapped into some uncomfortable truths that I have about the way that I inhaled football as a young person because, of course, (laughs) it was all that was on offer but it was pretty misogynist. So it really challenges me with where I'm sitting as a 46-year-old. And I look at the experience that my kids have compared to me, that the only, that there was no diversity in what we were seeing, you know, when we were growing up and becoming members and, and enjoying football. And it taps into this kind of nostalgia of the game because the nostalgia of footy, I really enjoy it and I revel in it. And at the same time as I'm doing that, it makes me feel uncomfortable because it reminds me of how unwelcome we were and and how I never saw women represented there and I was reading Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart which is an amazing book if you haven't read it yet and she actually talks about nostalgia she's done some research and it says across our research nostalgia emerged as a double-edged sword a tool for both connection and disconnection it can be an imaginary refuge from a world we don't understand and a dog whistle used to resist important growth in families organizations and the broader culture and to protect power including white supremacy and I was like oh my goodness this could be said of every flashback footy show I watch I don't want to throw my husband in it but when I watch the front bar there's a reason why structurally there's a reason why there's not many women on the show because well there's no female host but also they're not talking about an era when women were the central characters in football so I was thinking about how much the dial has moved on that and how often with memberships and the power in pushing people to to hand over their money is using that nostalgia as a tool now I'm on an AFLW committee for the Hawthorne Footy Club and we're talking at the moment about the ways that we want to engage community and of course there's a reason why they've asked me to be on that committee because of the work that we do here and I just know that it's going to look and feel so different for the eight-year-old version of me who's going to hook into footy because of AFLW and I just think fandom's going to change it's going to change so much the experience for the for the people in the outer and footy clubs really need to keep up with that and I thought that's why the podcast with Rana and and Dr Casey was just really blew the lid off it for me and I thought how exceptional that I'm listening to my own podcast and learning something (laughs) but it resonated with audiences too Tess Oh, so I did. It's interesting you talk about nostalgia. I was watching Offsiders and it was an excellent tennis wrap-up. And there was a woman there, Catherine Whitaker, who's a tennis podcast host from the UK. And they were talking about the special case, Nick Kyrgios and 
Tanasi Kokonakis and talking about it um, appealing to different types of fans, which I actually on the one hand find excellent, right? I do think tennis can be quite closed off and a lot of people think of tennis as strawberries and cream at Wimbledon and that's not necessarily everybody's bag. So they have definitely engaged an audience that aren't generally at the tennis, whether whether we like that or not, and I don't think I do like that, but they're there and having a ball, so good for them. And Catherine Murphy was talking about how it was great, you know, that that all these people felt like they could go to the tennis. And Catherine Whitaker, her point was, in fact, that she felt less comfortable going to the tennis because of the hyper-masculine bro culture that those two people have brought to tennis. It was a proper light bulb moment because I was unable the entire tournament to put my finger on why I didn't love that excited crowd because I love a crowd and I'm jealous of people being in crowds at the moment. And that was it for me. It was this bro, very like I was in back in high school, you know, and the Joey's boys up the road in Geelong were on the bus. That's what it felt like, the Joey's boys being crazy on the bus after school, that you're not welcome here and feeling uncomfortable somewhere. So rather than it attracting a new crowd, she said, in fact, it's actually attracting an old crowd from my youth that I don't want to be around anymore. And it was an amazing point. And I just thought, yeah, spot on. When we talk about this particular feeling and you're feeling about women being shut out, Shelley, I hope it's not too painful for me to ask you this, but when we talk about nostalgia around footy, the racism was rife in the outer, on the field, the way that Aboriginal players were treated as much as they're revered now. How do you feel about nostalgic footy moments? Does it make you, does it rise bile? Does it make you feel unsafe and uncomfortable? Where does it sit with you? Well, I've been doing this for a really long time, so 20 years. So a lot of the people that you're talking about that we lift in these moments are actually friends that I've known for a really long time and care about. So I know a lot of backstories on a lot of people that we still lift today. And when I see them and I know the truth about some people, it does get me revved up. It gets me revved up that we're continuing to lift people that I know were one racist, sexist, you know, all sorts of horrible things or that have come on my television shows over the time that I've worked and have been sexist towards me. And then I see them being lifted on mainstream TV as these heroes and everyone lauding all over them. Yeah, it has its moments, definitely. (laughs) Yes, I think we all have something to take from that. But it's pleasing that AFLW at least has changed the conversation and is starting it maybe a different chapter for footy and for the way that we engage. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sabrina Frederick, and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Um, I did want to ask you, Shelley, about some advocacy news because this week we freed the flag. What does that mean and what was footy's, what was footy's role in freeing the flag? Yeah, so last year we saw in the Sadug Nichols round, we saw all of the teams wearing a Free the Flag T-shirt, which was part of the campaign by Clothing the Gaps, which Laura Thompson actually campaigned as a grassroots campaign to free a flag that had a copyright issue. Basically, if I wanted to print a T-shirt or a flag, I had to pay a non-Indigenous company. I think a lot of people are really familiar with this because of the work of Clothing the Gaps. Um, So I don't feel like I need to fully explain that. But what happened was 
we just woke up and all of that hard work and all of the amazing people that had worn t-shirts, shared posts, had conversations and, you know, delved into why it was important for this flag to be free for people like the Australian flag and pretty much every flag in, in the world that is free to the people. We woke up and there it was. It was free. The government had sorted it out and they have actually purchased the copyright of the original owner. We can freely wear it, display it, buy things, fly it, do everything possible with the pride that comes with the connection for Aboriginal people to that flag. It was a very, very, very exciting day. It's a really exciting day. And I know you you went to Clothing the Gap and the Frio team did too. The Frio AFLW team, they all had a photo with the updated freed the flag sign in the background. Yeah. There was opposing views from people and some of them were from community who felt that, well, firstly, there were some sceptics who were saying, well, it's an, oh, it's an election year and that's why the government finally moved the needle on this. But you'll take, you'll take a win when you get a win. You've got to take a win to get a win. <laughs> Or I don't hold a flag or something. Well, I don't know what he said. Anyway, um, one of those. How do you feel about allies who are non-Indigenous, non-Aboriginal people wearing the flag? Well, firstly, to the people that have different opinions to me, I absolutely get them. I can totally see both sides of it and I see where they're coming from. It's just that I've chosen to really embrace this as this is where we are. This is now something that my son can wear and be proud of and not have that weight on our shoulders. So about, you know, did you buy this from here? Who got this? And it was just a really terrible time in the history of our flag for our people. And to answer the other part of your question, am I happy for allies? Of course, absolutely. We're just so proud to have allies come with us and be a part of our journey. You know, this is your history too. Aboriginal history and culture and the ceremonies and the beauty within our culture are yours too. You, Like I've said before, you will have a different relationship that I will have with my culture as I have with my father and with elders. They have a different relationship, but we want you to embrace it and to be proud of it and to share in the beauty of our culture. So absolutely, please go out and buy. You know, there's a, a push for black businesses, but we were talking a bit earlier about corporate that are getting on board as well if artists have been supported well if like first nations artists have been supported well by a corporate company you will get that sense from them because they will be promoting this product as well and you can support that artist in sharing their art with the world and you know sharing their story with the world so yep buy up absolutely it goes to show as well how much a campaign can do because Shelley says she woke up and all of a sudden it was fixed governments could do stuff overnight so if you are on the case it depends on you know on many many things why why it happened to be that day who knows but how extraordinary that change happened and it could happen so quickly so I guess for people keep your voices getting heard about several things because apparently things can happen overnight well, on that, test, we actually saw that Tennis Australia dropped a fossil fuel sponsor, Santos, as a result of some pressure from community this week. They had a, a year to go on that contract. Interestingly, off the back of it, we saw Hancock Prospecting, which is Gina Reinhart's company, is now sponsoring the Australian Olympic Committee until 2026. It's problematic for me because Reinhardt shares views with climate change sceptics and this has led some conversation around whether or not this is a version of large-scale sports washing, which is, of course, the act of using sport to improve people's image. I guess my concern about that is, firstly, the climate. (laughs) I have a huge concern about the climate. I wonder where it leaves Olympic athletes with their voices and will it silence their voices in climate activism but also 
if you look at the Australian Olympic Committee, and this has been the issue with the Olympics for a really long time, is that because of the nature of the Olympics, there's not a lot of money to support the amount of athletes and the amount of sports, and they don't all get government support. They don't all win gold medals. So when there is a void, that is a really great climate or a great opportunity for people to jump in. Now, I see that in women's sport. And we actually had some queries last year about the Adelaide Crows wearing BHP on their jumpers and how we felt about that and why we weren't asking the players questions about that. My feeling about that is the players would have no say in who sponsors them or their team or their club as a whole. And I would imagine a lot of them feel really uncomfortable with that. But I do think that women's sport provides an opportunity, which as it's gaining momentum in the public eye, and this weekend has been an exceptional weekend for women's sport that as it's gaining momentum and eyes as it should if the sponsors from reputable places that are not pushing an agenda of a different kind like sports washing do you think that the scene is set for us to be really challenged on what this might look like going forward Tess? Yeah, it's one of the big grey areas, right? Do you, do you want huge investment in women's sport? Yes, I do right now, right? Where is that coming from? It's often coming from companies that you might feel uncomfortable about who are investing in women's sport. I don't know what to, where I sit with that. It also makes it so hard for athletes, right? So we see things like the cool down where athletes sign on and they and they are demanding publicly action on climate. That same athlete is then a part of a big organisation. They're not the ones haggling for sponsorships or having any idea about that so when they post on social media someone in the comment section is going to go well how can you care about this when you do this and it puts so much pressure on them and it's it's an incredible way for, for critics to try and shut down those voices when really they don't have any say over that at all and you and actually isn't it more powerful when people speak out about stuff even when it might make a sponsor cross or something like that so it puts them in such an awkward position I also liken it this week to the Spotify drama with Joe Rogan and Neil Young because there are a whole heap of musicians speaking publicly at the moment about how even if they wanted to leave Spotify, they don't make that decision. The record company makes that decision. The manager makes that decision. It's not always so simple as, well, I can I can boycott today and off I go because they're still trying to make a living and Spotify is an enormous platform for them to make that living. It's very complicated and it puts athletes just in the most awkward position. And I think actually that means that leadership of organisations need to look at themselves when they're signing on to these contracts. Like, does this make it difficult for us in the future to take a stand on something? And if it does, then maybe it's not the way to go for now. I don't know. What about the way that we're perceived? You know, think about the way that Australia was received on the global stage at COP21 when we were in the bottom four for our missions and our missions targets, that our Olympic committee, that our entire Olympic team until for both winter and summer olympics until 2026 are going to be flying this flag and and funded by a climate change skeptic slash denier what does that i mean how do we turn it is that embarrassing does that mean are we done are the olympics done i mean it's been a question for a long time shelly how do you feel about how do you feel about what it's saying about australia on the global stage i really struggle with companies that dig up country and destroy sacred sites so that's pretty much where I stand. It really yeah. made me think about how the Australian government could say Novak Djokovic isn't allowed in because of his stance on anti-vax, but then because of a lack of government money into Olympic uh, sports that we're allowed to take this mining money that's making scars all over our earth, that's completely, that's okay, question mark? Yeah, yeah we've got to do better as a whole country. But it also makes it hard. I mean, what if you're, an, if you're one of those athletes and you're a gymnast, 
you're making no money, you're trying your guts out, you get to go every four years, every eight years, whatever. What are you going to do in this moment? Are you going to say, well, I'm not a gymnast anymore? I mean, and is that going mm. to have cut through at a national level? Is the Prime Minister going to go, oh, and Gina Reinhart going to go, oh, no, that gymnast boycotted. I don't know. It might make that gymnast feel better. It might make us feel better and go, oh, good for you. But does it actually help? Do then they not get to put their talents on the on the field? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's tricky because that's where the people in power, that's where they should have checked themselves. They should have had these conversations with athletes and said, what are your thoughts? And then that's where they would have got an understanding of where everybody stood. Of course, you know, even a case study of athletes and how they felt about it. I don't know if that happened. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, what does an athlete do is a really good question. And I think it would be up to the individuals. You know, this is their life dream that is now a choice has been put on them that really has been taken away and a freedom of choice of their beliefs and everything that they may stand for has now been forced upon them. So it, it would be interesting to see how the athletes react and what their reactions are. What I was thinking, because you always want to have a takeaway, and I hate to go full circle, but I think firstly we need to buy memberships, Tess. Sorry to say it. <laughs> I think we need if to you can put, afford it. If you can afford it, you need to pay for a membership. But I think we should also have, you know how you can get those micro loans? I think we need to do micro sponsoring of sporting clubs and sporting activities and, and sports generally. You know, if you sit down and you enjoy the Winter Olympics is about to come up, if you sit down, you enjoy the aerial skiing, find out how you can support aerial skiing. I mean, maybe, maybe it's going to come down to that. But I do think that it puts the Olympics on notice going forward. And that's been a question for a really long time. All right, let's get into some final business. It was very hard to ignore that there was sport a go-go for fans of women's sport of all shapes and sizes this week, but we cannot go past what was achieved on Rod Laver Arena. It was unbelievable to see Ash Barty take the Australian Open trophy home in front of 3.577 million people. Unbelievable. Like Dr. Evil, you know, and he's, it's like a, a silly number, million Four people. million people. <laughs> and that was, I think I read somewhere that the trophy presentation alone was the second highest rated show of the year after the AFL um, men's grand final. Unbelievable. So well. I want to get your reactions, Shelley. So many highlights out of this seemingly one-hour game. What was your takeaway from Ash Barty winning the Australian Open? I love that she did it in straight set. I love that she just went there and it was business and it all happened, you know, and she did it with such self-pride and just it was just so wonderful. And then I loved the photo at the end where, you know, we got to see Yvonne and Kathy with her. That has been a really special photo for the Aboriginal community that has just gone like wildfire, like it's iconic that moment. I think every, a lot of people use that. I think maybe even on our socials we use that word, you know, to have those three amazing athletes together and share in that moment. And her response to that moment, Ash... Ash's response has been that it was so special for her to be a part of that too and be in that photo and, you know, to share in that moment with them. So that was definitely a highlight. It was amazing. Tess, what about for you? Well, you said before it's the year of the tiger and it is the year of the tiger. It's Ash Barty. She's a tiger. And oh, it's there you go. Yeah. Remarkable, really. And I was watching it so stressed like I would watch my tigers because Shelly just said, oh, she got it done in business. But I still felt like halfway through, oh, no, she's going to lose. So I was so stressed out. I thought, oh, I couldn't move. I was doing all the omen things. Like I was chilling the champagne and I thought I shouldn't have chilled the champagne because I've been too smug here like I've got it ready for victory but anyway we got to drink the champagne in the end so we won but she's just remarkable she's so understated she's so confident she's so cool she's such a team person none of it seems put on as well it is genuinely her she's so genuine and I think the messaging that 
She came into this as a kid, took a break and said, actually, this isn't for me, and then came back and said, oh, it is for me, is wonderful and a good message for everybody because there might be kids out there feeling the pressure. They might be, they might think they can make it in footy. They might think they can make it in some particular sport and are struggling. There's a million ways to skin a whatever. There's a million paths. Small cat. There's a, <laughs> there's a million ways to skin a small cat and you can get there in loads of different ways, and Ash Barty's showing that. And now her name is there. She's won on three different court types, like Serena, like Novak, like Roger. She's one of them, and that is super special, and she deserves it. It was amazing. I want to bring in in final business, uh, and I'm a feminist, but which I borrow from the Guilty Feminist podcast. I'm a feminist, but this week I really loved seeing Charlie Cameron, Patrick Dangerfield, and Mason Cox tweeting about their AFLW teams and even trash-talking each other. I hate that that matters to me. But it does. And all Hawthorne players are on notice. I will be watching your Twitter feed when we get an AFLW team. You better be tweeting, brothers. You better be tweeting. Love that. It's solidarity. It's community. It's footy community. Trent Cotchin being at Ash Barty's game. That was wonderful. I loved that. Yeah, I'd love to see more Tigers in the outer supporting um, the Tigers women. And big shout out to one Tiger woman in particular. I wasn't on the pod last week, but Harriet Cordner, who I just adore, ACL out for the season and you know double season as we've discussed in previous weeks and it's just such a bummer because she's such a star but there she was at training like all of them supporting her teammates like unbelievable yeah and love to gab collingwood from the lions who's out with a second acl which is just heartbreaking you hate to see it oh and then we saw the sons we saw um jade progelli she went down with a knee injury but the thing is we can't actually find anywhere what's happened you know there's not enough information about these women when they become injured you know if that was happened in the men's it'd be 65 thousand newspaper articles about it there'd be a big list of what happened to everyone and we would be very well versed and i just want to shout out to jade progelli and hope that things are going well with her knee and it was great to see Jackie Yorston back too. And she hasn't played since 2020 after doing her ACL. So it was great. But one thing I did want to say before we go, I think our post-game interviews are starting to sound a little bit like the men's. I don't know if COVID's impacting that. But I listened to Jackie Yorston's and I was like, hang on a minute, this week-to-week thing you're talking about, throwing, you know, just taking one game at a time. What's going on here, Jackie? You're starting to get a little bit, you know, in the groove. Let's just hope it's COVID and we get back to the fresh gorgeousness of aflw player press conference what about one protocol at a time we'd love to hear that yeah. <laughs> we'd love to hear that in a press conference oh, i love that so much tess you've got some other exciting news you know sometimes it can feel like in footy stuff's not changing even though you can have your voices he- heard but stuff is changing again today we have the announcement of another female president of a football club sonia hood is going to become north melbourne's first female president she's going to replace ben buckley when he steps aside and that will be the fourth woman at the moment leading an afl club remarkable news and sonia hood has done so much work with the huddle which is just one of north melbourne's greatest legacies as a club and so i can't wait to see what they do and congratulations amazing news Totally. If you talk about the needle moving on things and it happens sometimes slowly and sometimes fast, I had the pleasure of being on Kane Corn's show this morning on SEN and the callers were, I don't mean to laugh, but they were lamenting the fact that there's not enough analysis about AFLW and women's sports teams just get nice stories written about them. I was like, hang on, (laughs) hold up. Hold up a second. The e-safety commissioners had to get involved because people aren't nice about what's happening on the field. And in fact, I think you're just not looking in the right places. So 
if anyone who was listening to SEN listened and heeded my words, I'm sure they were sitting there with their notepads, then I look forward to hearing your comments after you're listening through to the end of the Outer Sanctum podcast and you'll no doubt download all of the other favourite podcasts that we reference here from time to time. The thing that makes me laugh the most is when a man on the radio on a mainstream program says, I just don't understand why I'm not allowed to say X, Y, Z, and then says it. So you actually just said it. Like, I no one lets me say this. I go, but you just said it on your big radio show. And then they're going to write an article about it later. And then they're going to post it on the internet. And then they're going to tweet it. So no one's actually not letting you say anything. You're actually getting to say whatever you want. What you're looking for is I want to be able to say this and no one gets super cross with me. Soz doesn't happen. I wish I'd said that, Tess. Where were you? (laughs) I've got to be in your ear. You've got to have me on a little earphone. Yeah. That's, that's the way I prefer it. That's the way I like it the most. Uh, we've got some amazing games coming up, but you do need to keep an eye on the fixture. It is changing with every beat of my heart. So just keep an eye on it. I don't know how these players are actually extraordinary. Just it was sweltering in the outer at that Carlton game. I was there for about five minutes after I'd battled an anti-vax protest to get there. And it was, uh, we were drenched. We were fully raffing and darling it up in the outer. I don't know how they do it uh, on the field. I really don't know how they do it on the field, but thank Thank you very much for joining us again this week. As I said earlier, please tune into the fifth quarter this Friday. It's going to be a really special conversation with Rana Hussein and Julia Kiara. There is only one thing left to say, my beautiful football loving folk, and that is go footy. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.